1: Uh, Just for the record, this service position I signed up for because I thought I could sit at home and make phone calls and get speakers, and then I could just be free here. I didn't read everything it entailed. Um, But that's okay. Uh, The workshops are one of the ways that we hope to share experience, strength, and hope focusing on the 12 steps of the program of recovery. Uh, The first workshop will be focused on step one. Our panelists will each share for 10 to 15 minutes on step one, and then we'll open the mic right there to anybody who wants to get up and share their experience, strength, and hope with step one. I'm going to read one. So step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Christina is going to go first. She's asked me to read something. And um, to introduce her, I'm just gonna say that I've been to a few conferences, and I love everybody signing that book out there. I love um, when the newcomer gets that book, and every time I wonder what happens to what happened to that person that got the book at that conference. So I'm super excited that the first panelist is the one who got the book last year, and I think that's awesome. So, yeah. So first paragraph on page 30, it says, most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Christina.
2: Hi, my name is Christina, and I am an alcoholic. I want to thank, um, I'm I'm happy to be able to participate here, and I just want to thank Kristen for asking me to participate today. It was my first conference that I'd ever come to, and it was an honor to actually be able to get the book. And that was probably a a pretty big moment for me, um, to be in a room and to see the power and feel the power through you and feel it in me, and to have more hope and inspiration. I had about six months, and I remember people coming up to me and saying, you know, it's it's not usual that somebody with six months actually gets the book. You know, usually, like last year, somebody was stumbling and still drunk, and I just thought, you know what, my mind said that I was special and um, that there was a reason why I was getting that book. <laughs> um, let's see. So for me, um, the first step was absolutely the hardest step for me to even to get to um, to come to terms with. Um, and I believe that because the first time that I had, um, for me, so... The first time that I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous, um, you know, there there was no problem. I was still having fun, so, so I thought, and um, a lot of the consequences that I was feeling, um, I, I just couldn't see. I was really, I was quite blind to any of the problems that were going on, and I was still in that delusion. And the one thing that alcohol was always able to help me do um, was to perpetuate that delusion that I had, um, that I had control over my life. Uh, over you, over myself, and that I was able to manage those things. And that was something, uh, a feeling that I'd had before I even started drinking. But what I found was that reality came pushing into my life, and it was something that I did not like. And the best way that I could be able to um, control and manage it was by drinking, um, or using other substances. And that was, um, it was, it was, it was, um, my delusion maker. And it kept my illusions going on. And I am grateful. I don't think that I would have been able to say this last year, but I'm grateful that I had alcohol. Um, because for me, it was the solution. And if I hadn't had alcohol, I know that I would have um, taken other measures to be able to end the pain. So for a long time, it, it allowed me to endure what I needed to endure. Um, and now I see that, um, you know, my reality was of my own making, and a lot of the enduring that I had to do was just a lot of my own BS. <laughs> um, so, uh, alcohol assisted me in following that dilution, um, and it also it warped into my only solution, and it allowed me to believe that my only, um, that my problems were you know that i was a victim and that um i was a victim to uh, a series of bad circumstances and uh, unfortunate events and um that that you were the problem really in in essence that um the pro- the problem didn't rest with me that it was you and um, and i believe that, that that is something that was critical for me in my alcoholism um, it, it allowed me to not have to take responsibility, which was something that I was was not even able to begin to think of. But the, the main reason why it was so critical was that um, the thought that the one thing that had provided me relief for that to become the problem was frightening because I had no other solution. Um, so to be able to to make that mental switch over, I just wasn't capable of doing. So when I came into AA, I was living in this delusion and what I ended up doing was, um, making a huge geographic and going at it for the, like hitting, sliding on bottom. I've heard it called, um, I hit my bottom and what I ended up doing was, uh, just sliding on it for about six to seven years. And, you know, I changed my job. I, uh, Changed men, um, I changed everything that I could. I lived in a different state, a different city, um, traveled all the time, um, I knew that I was past the point of going into sanitariums. Um, I had been institutionalized about a dozen times, and I could see that that wasn't, um, that wasn't the answer. (laughs) So if I could, you know, if I could manage well, if I could just change these things, then um, somehow I'll be able to get that that peace and satisfaction that I've been searching for for my entire life. Um, and because I hadn't suffered any of the consequences that I'd seen in um, some of the rooms, you know, I hadn't lost my job. I had a, a good-paying job. Um, I'd never been arrested for a DUI. Uh, I'd never been arrested. Um, I didn't... Th- relate that there was anything unmanageable. There was you know, I had a job, I, you know, I had somewhere to go to. I, I had these people that I could relate with, you know, I mean we drink together and I didn't know that, that there was so much more that I was missing out of life because what I'd come to expect from life was so much um was so below the standard and i had been living in my delusion for so long that i didn't know that i had lowered my standards so low so what ended up happening was you know um every time something wouldn't work out i would just let go of a little bit of what my dreams were in order to be able to maintain living the way that i was living which was to drink the way that i wanted to drink and <clears throat> I went on, um, every so often I would, I didn't ever think that I had a problem, but ever so often I would think about, you know, well, what happened to your dreams of going to medical school or what happened to your dreams of you becoming something or, um, you know, and I would stumble on the, the truth that I wasn't um, living up to my full potential. But what I would quickly do would, um, I'd place it back down and I'd keep on moving. So, I consider myself extremely lucky to have been able to have been in enough pain to meet enough willingness to no longer say no to AA, but to just say maybe. And I'm not sure you know, I, when I came in, I did not see, you know, most of my experience and understanding the unmanageability of my life has been in hindsight. It's only now that I see how unmanageable it was to live that way, how unmanageable it was to cut myself off from other people, how unmanageable it was that I was willing to um, uh, give away a kidney <laughs> to be able to feel like I was doing something with my life. And, um, and then how, un how, uh, out of control it was that I wasn't actually able to stop drinking in order to be able to give away that kidney. And, um, I'm glad of, well, no, I'm not, I don't know. I don't want to say that I'm glad that he died, but, <laughs> but I'm glad that God came in and did for me what I could not do for myself. And he has a, a, a weird way of working and, I believe that he put his foot down in um, me actually going through with that and um, took his life before I could give away mine. So, um, you know, living in that living in that pain and living in that pain for six months and just you know seeing how my life had been playing out for the last fifteen years and realizing that there was really no end to it, um, meeting that desperation. Um, there was no humility when I came in. I just knew that I was desperate enough to try something else. You know, I was no longer having fun. It was very clear to me that I wasn't having fun. The thoughts of suicide were coming in. I wasn't able to fight that. It wasn't that they'd ever they they were always there, but um now I was no longer to fight them. Um, and that you know the next ten years were gonna play out the way that they. Um there was no way of stopping that, so matching that willingness and coming here and saying maybe, and just sitting in the rooms um and again, like I said, you know, much of my unmanageability and uh seeing how out out of control I was came has come in hindsight, and um, it's in my sobriety that um you know. At times, I think step one is one of those steps that you do and you've done and you just carry on and you go you move on to the more important steps. And um, for me, what I've realized is that step one is mandatory for me to work in every single one of my steps. It's in my sobriety that somehow my mind says, you know, um, all right, well, you've dealt with your alcoholism. Now your life is more manageable by you. And, <laughs> um, the lesson that I keep learn that I've been able to learn and to be able to get out of this is, um, that my life was never meant to be managed by me. Um, my life was never meant to be controlled by me. Um, and it's by working these steps and, um, having had a spiritual awakening and been having been connected to. Um, my higher power, that I'm able to then give the control and the managing of my life over to something that's much greater than I am. And it's when I do that and I practice that on a daily basis that I find peace and serenity and I'm able to act with love and tolerance. It's when I'm not doing that um, that I find that that's when I'm suffering. It's when I'm trying to manage my life and trying to take control of you, of myself, of anything else, um, and not, that's when I'm in the most suffering, um, that I've ever experienced actually in sobriety. So, <laughs> um, to wrap it up, um, you know, it's, when I, the, the first step, recognizing that I, have no that I'm out of control with alcohol and that my life is that my life is unmanageable. It's um, when I came here into the rooms for a second time, um, in that willingness to just sit here and be with you, um, there was a seed of hope that was planted. And it's again, it's through working the steps that I've been able to cultivate that that hope. And um, it's through working with another alcoholic. That I'm able to actually bear the fruit of that hope. Um, for me, that has been like that has been um, paramount in in remembering how out of control um, and how unmanageable my life was and can still be, but how painful it can be. Um, it's what keeps me straight. So I just, again, I want to thank Kristen for having me, um, asking me to speak, and um, thank you for participating. Okay,
1: okay so the second um, A panelist is going to be Enzo. He wants to read himself. He denied me the opportunity to read for him. So, whatever. No. This um, is Enzo. I met Enzo, I think, at the second Fox conference, like, three years ago. And just so you know, I, like, he's one of the, ha- either he fakes it or it's real, but he seems happy all the time. And it's awesome. It's a good example for me. So, Enzo.
3: Mm-hmm. you go. <laughs> <laughs> <Busted> my chops. <laughs> Of course. I've got to put myself on a timer, I'm sorry. There we go. Hi, I'm an alcoholic. My name's Enzo. Hi hey, uh, Enzo. And thanks, Kristen, for asking me to, to share and throwing me under the bus. Um uh, I'm not always happy. Uh, I am a lot more happy than I used to be, though, uh, because of AA and the 12 Steps, you guys, God, all of it. Um, So I guess, can I borrow your book? I guess so. (laughs) Since you're forcing me to read. Uh, It's really good to be here. Welcome, everybody. I love thoughts. Um, Came here the first time three years ago. At my sponsor's insistence, I was like, what's fucked? Oh, no, it'll be great. Come. Right. I was like, okay. And it was. And I had a great time. So I keep coming back. Um, page 30, right after what Christina had read. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is a first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. Um, thanks. You know, for me, my experience was, uh, similar to what Christina described in a lot of ways that, um, you know, I started drinking and using really young, um, never thought I was an alcoholic, never considered it. The word wasn't mentioned in my household very much, but I did it. I drank and used, uh, I was a generalist, used powders, potions, pills, whatever, um, Whatever I could get my hands on started in my early teens. And I was the guy who a uh, bright kid academically, socially stunted, always uncomfortable in my skin, and always uncomfortable wherever I was, and always trying to find something as from the time I can remember being conscious, always trying to find something to make me feel at ease. I never could quite feel at ease anywhere, among friends, among family. Um and certainly not out in the world. And, um, you know, that, that's how I felt all my life. And I drank and I used and went through my teen years and, um, really hit it hard. And I had people around me saying, man, maybe you ought to slow down. Maybe you ought ought not do that. Whatever that may be. These things that they saw could get me thrown in behind bars, uh, various things I was doing related to drinking and using. And, um, but I never had anybody say to me, you know, you might be an alcoholic, you know, you you're addicted, you're you're in tough shape. They just said you really uh you really shouldn't do that anymore. But I, of course I ignored it and kept doing what I did. Uh, and I, out of high school, I slowed down a bit and started this cycle of um I would I would drink and use and, until I had to stop and I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't manage it anymore. Things were getting a little out of control, and I would slow down or stop. Sometimes, you know, sometimes for weeks, sometimes for a few months. Um, and inevitably, um, I would start up again. And it was usually slow. You know, I'd start with just, yeah, you know, it's Friday night. Why not? You know, just have a beer with my buddies. And, you know, we're, good. we're having dinner. Have a little drink. And it, it would rapidly ramp back up to, you know, cocktails on Thursdays. And then happy hour on Wednesdays. And then it became Bloody Marys on Sundays and, you know, on and on. And I didn't. And so that that's my cycle. You know, I went through life, my adult life, uh, for decades like that, made it into my early forties, um, doing those kind of, that kind of a cycle with other parts of my life with marriages and jobs, um relationships of all types, uh, you know, brotherhood. I knew nothing. I didn't know how to carry on a relationship with another human being. Um, and then, uh, and I would never have conceded I was powerless over anything. You know, I'm a bright guy. I've got college degrees, plural, right? Um, you know, I've never been gotten a DUI. Um, God knows why. I don't know why. Um I have, there was plenty of opportunity. You know, I've I've had the house. When I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I still had the house. I had a car that was paid for. You know, all this bullshit that really never made me happy, was never going to make me happy, but it, you know, it just reinforced this denial I had. I had no idea I was an alcoholic. That was just not something that entered my mind. Until Um, you know, I finally backed myself into a corner I couldn't wiggle out of. I was working on a third marriage. um, Working on getting married a third time, I should say. The marriage had not happened yet. I had finally found a woman who could drink like I drank. um, And that made me happy, I thought. Um, And it was chaos. It was the most chaotic relationship I've ever been in. It was really the 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 crowning achievement of my dysfunctional relationships you know, i found finally found someone who was as sick as I was and um and we proceeded to burn it to the ground together you know had a child her child living in the house with us um and then the 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 yets started happening to me this upstanding educated guy with a clean sheet, you know no paper in the police or the courts, you know. Um, the police started showing up at my house and, uh, you know, so I, I dabbled in the meeting in Alcoholics Anonymous a little bit, uh, to support her. Uh, her progression was more rapid than mine. Um, she got sicker quicker, um, or found the yet's quicker. Um, so I came into AA grudgingly, actually through Al-Anon. I thought I would go to Al-Anon to, uh, Learn how to deal with her bullshit is what I, that's what I thought it was. You know, I could continue drinking and learn how to, you know, deal with this crazy alcoholic. Um, and found, went to an aftercare group, uh, after she'd come out of rehab and, uh, we're sitting around this family group once a week and realizing I can relate more to the alcoholics that we're sharing. In this family group, and so I asked the I asked the therapist. I said, "Tony, I think I might be an alcoholic." <laughs> he goes, "Well, there's there's a way to find out. Only you can answer that question for yourself." He goes, "said Go to an AA meeting." So I started going to AA meetings. Anyway, the long and short of it is, I bounced in and out of AA for about a year and a half, supporting my uh, my significant other, um, and when you know when. We were about to get married like three weeks before we going to get married. Things completely blew up. That's when I became ready. You know, that's when I hit bottom. Um, I had been sober a year in Alcoholics Anonymous at that point, close to a year, about 11 months. I was dry in Alcoholics Anonymous. I had a sponsor. I was ignoring him. wasn't doing much of what he said um, except going to one or two meetings a week. If I made three meetings in a week, I would congratulate myself. You know, I'd want him to, you know, congratulate me. And I'm like, God, what's wrong with this guy? Um, and then when that relationship blew up and I was alone again, you know, and I was 44 years old. And I, I, you know, I was baffled. I was finally at the end. I was baffled. And I was dry. And I was pissed off. And the thoughts of drinking started coming back. Um but more more even more strongly than that, thoughts of killing myself were started appearing. That was something kinda new to me. That happened intermittently when I was younger, but not not so intense. And um, that's when I finally gave up. It's like I'm I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die here. And it's not gonna be I'm not gonna drink myself to death into the ICU and die of liver failure. You know, I'm gonna put a gun in my mouth and blow my head off. Um, which is what nearly happened. But that's a step two story. You know, I finally gave up. I finally conceded to my innermost self that I was alcoholic. Um, And that day, the day that I did that, I understood what step one, I finally took step one because, you know, I, I knew my life was unmanageable. um, But I didn't really realize what, how much a part of alcoholism that was, you know, this, this idea that it's two things. It's that compulsion that when I put things that alter the way I feel in my body, I just want more of them. I don't know how things are going to turn out. It might be just fine one time, but another time I might end up getting divorced and moving to another state in a matter of a couple of weeks. You know, that's how it worked for me. So there's that part of it, but then the unmanageability, you know, I'm powerless over alcohol today. I realize that I'm still powerless over alcohol, but my life is still unmanageable in my life. I didn't realize that was part of alcoholism too. You know, that way I was living wasn't just the drinking. It was my brain and my actions when I put the drink aside. You know, what I did, how I treated others, uh, how I couldn't complete anything, how I was always restless and irritable and discontent. I never was getting what I wanted. There was always that hole in me that I could never, ever fill. And I would get close to the thing or the woman or the job or the sport or the place that I thought was going to fill the hole and it would come within my grasp and I wouldn't want it anymore. Cause it didn't do the trick. Didn't do the trick. Um, so it took, it took being at the, at the brink for me to admit it, you know, Oh, you know, my life is unmanageable. I don't know how to do this thing called life. <laughs> the other crazy thing is, um, I, I really never thought I had the compulsion, um, to drink and use. I never I never thought I had that allergy of the body and, uh, to substances. I just didn't think it was part of my story. Um, <laughs> till, uh I really took the first step and uh, I was obsessing about it. You know, my life's fallen apart. I've been dry a year. I'm seeing alcoholism destroying my household and my relationships. But, you know, it, it didn't come together for me because all I could think about was starting to drink again. I was like, God, I just need a drink. I just need some relief. I need to take the edge off, you know. You know, I can't handle relationships. I got a little self-esteem problem. I don't. Ha- I can't just seem to find the right girl, and I'm a little bit unhappy in my job. Um, but beside that, I'm good. Um, and you know, I'm not one of those guys who. Can't stop drinking, and then lo and behold, here I sit a year dry, and I could do nothing but think about alcohol and drinking or whatever I could get my hands on and shoot myself in the head. That's what I was obsessed with um, and uh it didn't stay that way, thank God, um, you know that's when I became willing, dug in with my sponsor, uh, we started going to a lot of meetings and I started going to a lot of meetings. And we got into that book, into the, the big book. And he he uh, read me the big book. When we get to a step, uh, I would work it. And he took me through the 12 steps that way, through his experience. And uh, it saved my life right then. You know, the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, you guys. Uh, you know, I know today I can't do this. I couldn't do it on my own then. I can't do it on my own today. Uh, because you guys were there. My sponsor were there, was there, and he was ready. He was willing. When I was ready, when I was finally ready to do something different and just shut up and just do it and not argue, not question. I would, think I would question in my head, but I would just just do it. Um, when I finally became ready, he was there, and you guys were there. Um, you know, and it it saved my life. You know, plain and simple. Alcoholics Anonymous and the twelve steps um, and the the God that. My understanding that has been introduced to me through that saved my life and saved my life to this day. Um, I'm still powerless over alcohol. I'm built to drink, you know, left to my own devices. Uh, I'm still powerless over alcohol. I need you guys and I need AA and I need my God. I need my sponsor. I need all that. I can't do it alone. Um, I'm built to drink, uh, but I don't want. I don't have to live that way anymore. don't I don't ever have to drink again and what a relief that is Uh, so I'm grateful to be here welcome to everybody stick around um, this last year and the year before this conference turned out to be way different than I thought it was going to be both times and I had a great time Um, so thanks for letting me share all
4: right
1: third uh, panel speaker is is um, going to be Shannon. and She's the Al-Anon member, and um, I've had a. I don't. I am an alcoholic. I spend more meetings in AA than Al-Anon, so um, it's been a privilege to me to to get to know her a little bit and watch her doing her program along with the alcoholic in her life. So, Shannon. Hi, um,
5: my name is Shannon C. and I'm an Al-Anon, and um, Kirsten asked me to speak on Step 1. Um, and the first word of Step 1 illustrates an important concept in Al-Anon recovery. We are not alone. In our early meetings, we realized this is true. I felt like I was alone at the first, and then I heard we who live or have lived with the problem of alcoholism understand, as perhaps few people can, I thought I was the only one who could understand the problem that lingers in my life. Wow, was I so wrong when I found out everyone in my Al-Anon group did understand what I was trying to understand myself. While not understanding was a problem that was affecting my life, I tried to blame my qualifiers in my life. I thought I could make them stop, and well, I was, again, wrong. When you do that, it's like hitting a brick wall. When you say everything you can say, you look at it and you say enough and it is enough. And I stopped saying anything more. When I stopped, I started to live and to realize, really understand that I can't stop it, but I can start me to a better life. While I worked step one, I grew and I got better, a better understanding of alcoholism. And that is not a, a, uh, a disease. It's not a, excuse me. It is a disease, and it's not a choice, like I always thought. I thought my qualifier could stop anytime because I had drank it a few times, and I didn't have a problem stopping. Uh, my family was alcoholic, and we had quite a few problems with it. And now I realize that they can't stop. They need help, and I'm powerless over it. But I'm not powerless over my life and how I live my life I don't make excuses for my qualifier anymore and um and I live my life the way I want to I do these things in my life that I didn't do before and I really do understand now how the steps and al anon groups work it has really helped me once we acknowledge that someone else's drinking has affected our lives we may want to blame everything on my on your qualifier Um, we are sure there must be something more we can say or do that will convince the alcoholic to stop drinking. Thus resolving our problems, we have had no idea where we're powerless. We are as powerless as the alcoholic is. While not understanding that alcoholism is a disease, many of us have tried to take things into our own hands. We have poured out liquor, made excuses, nagged, pleaded, protected or punished the drinkers in our lives. We hide our feelings, isolate ourselves, avoid contact with the alcoholic, thinking our problems would go away. We cover mistakes. No matter what we say, our lives did not improve and the alcoholic did not change. I have been in Al-Anon for over a year and it has been a great experience for me. Learning to do the steps has been so good and the meetings have really given me so much more than I expected. And my qualifier, it has taught me that there is hope for all of us. If we follow the steps and lean toward my higher power, we will help us all. If we just let him in at this time in my life, I really love to have him here with me. Um, our my situation in Al-Anon has been kind of different from other Al-Anon people. Some of them have still have a qualifier that's drinking, and thank God that my qualifier is not drinking anymore, and he's in the the AA program. I think it's been easier on me to to deal with it. Um, I've seen a lot of people that have a hard time. They come in and they're upset and crying, and they're always talking about it, and it just is really good for me to know that he cares enough about my family and my life and his life, but we have been really good that way. We kind of work off each other. If he says things, I look in his book, and I read his book, and I explain things to him, and I think it helps us both that he's sober, and it really makes me feel good to know that he's interested as much as i am for the first time in our whole life it's been this way and i really appreciate him and love him a lot and um i appreciate christian asking me to speak and um
2: thank you
1: Thank you guys. Um, So we're going to open it in just one second, but I'm going to make a really quick announcement that I'm probably going to be making a few times. Um, What's so great about this conference is is that it it is the Alcoholics and the Al-Anon. I know they're asking if you want to volunteer next year to sign your name out there. And if you are an Al-Anon, we would really, 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 really love your help. So if if you just put Al-Anon next to your name, if you can help out next year, that would be great. We want to keep this conference the way it is, which is you know, to celebrate the alcoholics and the Al-Anon. So we're just going to open it up. Anyone who wants to share their experience, strength, and hope is step one for about 15. 15 one person for 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> no pressure.
4: Hi, my name is Deborah. Hi, Deborah. And I am with Al-Anon. And I have been an Al-Anon member since January. Um, I had many qualifiers in my life, uh, going back to my childhood. Both my parents were alcoholic. My um, former husband was alcoholic, and I have a child that's alcoholic. But um, I actually came to Al-Anon not necessarily before because of my qualifiers. I, over the years, had dealt with my alcoholics in my life in various ways, divorce, divorce, um, moving away, running away from my home um, through expensive therapy. Um, I finally kind of worked through a lot of things, and it had been about 20 years. I had remarried successfully in a loving relationship for 20 years. And so, you know, alcoholism wasn't really in my life so much anymore. But I have to say on step one, It has probably been one of the hardest steps that I have uh, really encountered, and I am um, an Episcopal priest in the Episcopal Church, and so you would think I could surrender to God pretty easily, but um, interestingly enough, it is the human condition, and uh, I find that step one comes into my life every day as I work with um, my boss, and people in my life and my work, when I want to uh, assume my position of knowing all and can do all, and um, that I can judge their behavior, and I can recognize that uh, I'm pretty much powerless over their behavior and my behavior, and it keeps coming back to me. If I surrender to God and allow God to work in my life as they should, as our first speaker said, that I'm not in control of my life. I can't change my life. Only God can change that. I think um, it's a huge lesson for us all, whether we are alcoholic, or we are children of alcoholics, or we have come from families of alcoholics. I think just as human beings, when we realize that we have to surrender to our higher power, because we would not live lives of serenity and peace if we don't. And I think that is the circumstance of our world today. We do not surrender. And I just wanted to say that it is a step that I think everyone works on. And coming to Al Anon has been a rough fresh air for me to help remind me that that is something that I have to be aware of each
6: and every so. Hi, I'm Jenny. I'm an alcoholic. I'll just try to talk Hey, Jenny. Hi, hey, Jenny. <laughs> Jenny. Hi. It's David knowing Kristen, man oh Oh, wow thanks so much for sharing um that that was uh it's it's i love hearing um i mean because we all take step one you know i mean i think by the time that you get to a you've taken some form of step one um but it's it's um really cool to hear Like the different variations, you know, and how um, the different things, I suppose, Um, but then also realize that we all have that same feeling, you know, the the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, and that's what I think that, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, no matter how much stuff you lose or don't lose or whatever, it's just like that um, that feeling for me um, came when, um, you know, and I think it was building up for a while, but it came when one day, I just, um, it was not any particularly, um, special day, but I had promised my daughter that I would take her snowboarding the night before, and then, um, I remember trying not to use that night, not to use and not to drink, and I couldn't do it, you know, like, i um, 10 o'clock p.m. rolled around. I'm like, hey, I should probably get to bed. I'm going to get up at 6 to go pick her up and go snowboarding. And, and then, then, you know, like excuse after excuse comes. And finally it's like, okay, well, maybe I can just drink a little bit and then stop at midnight. And then then I can, you know, get six hours of sleep. And then, and then midnight rolls around. And it's like, well, maybe 2. I'll stop at 2, you know. And and that's um so, you know, but, five, six in the morning comes around and I'm calling her and I'm like, mommy's sick and I can't take you. And it was probably the fifth or sixth time I had to reschedule, you know, and I just, um, gosh, and you know, that kind of just, um, put me in the spot where I was like, you know, I, I'm completely, um, powerless. You know, the, the parts where my life was unmanageable was kind of still elusive, but the powerless part, you know, when I, Try to control it, couldn't control it. Um, so thank God, thank God that, um, you know, because like many of the speakers have shared, like I um, I was cursing myself a week leading for not being able to take my own life. That's all I wanted to do um, because I just kept seeing my daughter in my head and I'm like, you know, like I could give a crap less about myself, but what happens if I die? She doesn't have a mom, you know? So I'm like, what can I do? And, you know, it's just that place where you're just, oh, there's... Um, you know, cause you haven't, you don't have a solution yet, you know? And so thank goodness for me, I, um, I went into an inpatient rehab and checked in for 30 days and, um, six months later I came out (laughs) and, um, yeah. And I mean, thank goodness I had that because, you know, at first I went in there and that was my higher power, you know, um. The rehab was. So I just, I was so beaten into submission. I pretty much, I did everything they asked me to, you know, from not wearing makeup to putting away all my little half tops and you know whatever it is. Go <laughs> figure. I thought I could wear those in rehab. Um, <laughs> to you know throwing away my cigarettes because the night before I checked in, they had made it a non-smoking facility. Literally the night before. So I show up with my cartons and they're like, you need to throw those away. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so. Oh, so I just, yeah, I mean, there are all these things that um, they just asked me to do, and I just, when um, we did, you know, I, I thank God um, so I had such a feeling of hopelessness at first, you know, because um, I think it was just enough to get me into the rehab to where I started to get a little bit of hope, you know, um, um, they walked us through the, the first, five steps there and um, remember step two, how easily step two came to me. I was like such a relief because I was, you know, I was in the hopelessness and just so miserable. I couldn't even look at anyone and I just, oh, it was, it was just awful. And so um, when I got to step two and that little glimmer of hope came, it was just, um, it was like the same relief that I actually felt when I would put a drink or a drug into my body. Um, sort of came over me when I did step two, you know, um, so, anyway, that's step two, but step one, I mean, obviously, is such a prerequisite, and so necessary to, I mean, like, we would never, ever, like, consider, you know, it talks about that in the big book, I and mean, why would we ever consider changing our whole attitude, our way of life, if, um, unless the alcohol wasn't working for us anymore, you know, so thank God it would stop working and I got beaten into submission, and um, I didn't cause uh, more records than I did, and um, I'm just uh, so grateful to be here, so thanks so much. Thanks,
3: Jenny.
6: Hi, I'm Michael Hawke,
7: and my name is Kim. Hi, Kim. Hi, Kim. It's good to be here, and good to be sober. I, uh, I really enjoyed the speaker's uh, the panel this morning, and, and Shannon, you, you brought a tear to my eye. That was fantastic. Now, you're not the first time that's done that, though. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
3: you know, I got
7: sober. Uh, it's probably December 29, 1984, um, and and I was thinking about. Uh, you know, Utah is a big part of that. I uh, I got sober in Kansas City, but I I did most of my drinking here in Utah, and all the wreckage of my past was. Neatly left behind, like the old song, you know. All my exes live in Texas, so I live in Tennessee. <laughs> I, I moved to Missouri. I missed it, but uh, I left everything here. And uh, you know, I when I when I think about the people that I you know that I harmed in, in sobriety, a lot of times it, as I became more and more conscious of my disease and how it affected other people. Um, uh, in the wake of this conference, and uh, just going to this conference recently, uh, both my one of my sons. And um, my daughter had entered treatment. And, um, you know, it's, it, this year has been a challenge, I think, you know, to realize how the depth of, of alcoholism is in my family. Um, my father was an alcoholic. My brother and sister both died of alcoholism, uh, one in 2000 and the other one uh, two years ago. And so the powerlessness issue is that, and of course you can't scare a drunk. I don't, I don't, I, that's not the purpose of me saying that. It's just that I think that, for me, I think they have had this real recognition of, of the power since I have over alcohol, whether it's in me or whether it's in you. And, and today, um, you know, as I as I come to this conference you know, with many questions, after 26 years of not drinking, a little over 9,775 days of not drinking alcohol and being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I still have questions. I have questions about powerlessness. I have questions that that how do I get the answers that I seek? And one of the things that and you know, I was reading that of course I you know I like to read these things you know they say read this okay I read this, but the one thing is this is this thing about open-mindedness. You know I can I can have a lot of years of sobriety and not a lot of days of sobriety. And for those of you that have a few years in this program, whether it be twenty six or more or twenty six or less. I would say that, recommend strongly that you open your mind a little bit um, to this program, to the healing that can occur after many, many years of sobriety, because it's a simple program, but it certainly isn't easy sometimes to go through some of the challenges we have in recognizing the depth of, of this and the power of alcoholism. But I found, you know, that when I got sober in 1984, you know, I had lost everything. You know, I was alone and uh, sitting in a basement of a, of a house in Kansas City, wanting to die. And from there, how do you get from there to here? Well, the, how you get from there to here is what we're about here today, is finding that power in, in the we of recovery, um, in the we of Alcoholics Anonymous in my case, and, but in the we of the fellowship uh, that we speak, seek in, in this particular conference. So I'm grateful to be a member of Alcoxon. So I'm grateful to find uh, somewhere where you guys understand. You know, I, I heard a speaker a long, long time ago, maybe 20 years ago, s- said, you know, at my best, at, I'm the elite of the mentally ill.
3: That's
7: That certainly is true today. But I don't have to, you know, I don't have to suffer today. I can be a part of the solution. And so I'm real grateful to be here, and I'm grateful you're here. And I'm looking for a tremendous conference. And thank you three for a really
3: children
0: out there. Thanks. Thanks, guys. I'm an alcoholic, and my name is Carl. Hey, Carl. I just thought I'd come up here so that I could face everyone. Uh, It's kind of scary sometimes to admit how powerless I am. Um, I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful for the speakers today. And uh, just to share a little bit of my story... um, I started drinking at a young age. Also, um, basically, anything that would work to relieve my head of some of the bad feelings that I was having would be. Um, I started off with alcohol. But I turned to drugs, mixed with alcohol. Um, I remember a couple of druggy friends. One time, I was I was using some meth, and uh, I cracked open a beer. And, They looked at me really funny, like, what the heck are you doing? And I was like, you know, I I knew I couldn't just do the one drug. Um, But um, through the years, I've always turned back to alcohol. Um, Most of the drugs that I did started by being drunk and and daring to try something new. Um, I think through the years... um, I developed a a consciousness of uh, self-hatred and I didn't really care about living or dying. Um, Obviously, I I was too scared to try to take my own life. I contemplated different ways. Uh, Thank God that none of them seemed like a feasible way. Um, I don't know, a gun to the head was, you know, instant headache. I I often thought about uh, drinking a lot and then taking sleeping pills but uh for me you know I, a lot of times I'd get sick so I I figured you know I'd probably end up halfway there and and then really hate my life but um I'm grateful to be here uh, um when I first started AA um I I felt like there, there was a God, but I had also turned my back on Him a number of years ago. Uh, I went through a period of sobriety for almost seven years, but it was just based on a religious belief and and involved a lot of white knuckling, uh, being a dry drunk, uh, seeing friends around me that could drink and, and enjoy it. Um, by the time I met my wife, uh, Shannon... I had been pretty much into it for probably 35 years. And by that, by the time that we met, I was pretty much set in my ways. I told her at the beginning, you know, I drink, I do things, you know, it's me, uh live with it. And bless her heart, she lived with it for 10 years. Um, now that I've been in the program for a little over 18 months... Um, I realized the wreckage of, of our marriage that was, you know, she had never really seen me sober in the past. The only time she'd seen me sober was when I got up in the morning before I had coffee or, or started drinking. Um, but I owe the world to her for putting up with me. And when I found God, I was just amazed at, at how freely the program works, um, my sponsor told me at the beginning, you know, if you if you have a hard time accepting a God, you can use mine. And for me, that that helped. That helped me sh- help me see through the fellowship. And you know, that's where I, I felt the love and the understanding was through the guys and the girls in my in my groups. Um, but. After a while I started seeing some of the progress. Um like like my sponsor said, look back, you know, it was about sixty days at the time. And he's he just says, Look back at, at where you've come from, what you've accomplished up to this point. And to me that was incredible because I tried several times to limit my drinking to the weekends and usually it came with a hangover on Sunday morning, you know, I'll never do that again. Um but there was a but right after that. And that but was unless I start feeling better. And so many days, you know, that's that was the case. I'd I'd start all over again and just start that cycle. Um but I'm just glad to be here and and thank everybody for the support and especially for my wife. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks,
3: Carol. Thanks Carol.
1: All right. Um, they Want to thank um these three for being with to this week, and for everyone else who shared. Um, when I first got sober, my sponsor and other people kept saying it's gonna get better, it's gonna get better, it's gonna get better, and I kept saying, yeah, we'll see, we'll see, and um, it has been my experience, and you know, with this conference, it's always been the same every year that like these guys did an excellent job, and it just gets better through the whole thing. So, um, we take a break, and then we'll be back here for step two at four fifteen.